please remain standing as we read from God's word. My name is Pat Husky, and it's my privilege to serve the women here at FBC as director of women's ministry. Today, we'll be reading from Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 62. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to call fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Good morning again. Let's pray and ask for God's help as we take some time to think about his word this morning. God, we are thankful that you have given us your word as a, a significant effort to make yourself known to us that we might have hope in Christ alone. We pray this morning, God, as we are in your word this morning, that you might do a work in our hearts and change us. Show us those places where we need to repent and where we need to be lifted up and where we need to be humbled and show us Jesus, Lord. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, we are in Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 52, as we're waking, making our way through the book of Luke uh, here over uh, the course of uh, about a year and a half. And the title of the message this morning is Sinner Seeking Savior. Sinner Seeking Savior. And I wanted to start as we look at Jesus this morning and the way in which he seeks sinners, I wanted to start actually, if you don't mind, uh, in the book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 3, beginning in, in verse 14, let me lay the scene here for you. They're at the threshing floor, and Boaz has just harvested and threshed and is sleeping next to his uh, harvest, and Ruth has uh, laid down at his feet as a way of making known to Boaz that uh, not only is she available for marriage, but she desires uh, to be married to Boaz. This was important because, uh, of course, Ruth is a widow, and Ruth's uh, husband had died, and he was uh, a member of the community in Israel, and so there was land connected with his name. Ruth, of course, was not Jewish. She was from Moab. She was a foreigner. So she never would have received the property. Uh, and, and she was here in Israel caring for her mother-in-law, who also was a widow. So Boaz here has the opportunity to redeem Ruth, which is to take her as his wife 
and therefore redeem her, meaning she would have a place on the property that her husband uh, had owned, as well as be cared for and have the opportunity of a family of her own. And that's really, really uh, important. Uh, she's caring for her mother-in-law, Naomi, and she, her life is at great risk. Now, Boaz would, would redeem Ruth and the property that uh, her dead husband had at great risk to his own estate. And we know from reading the book of Ruth, uh, Boaz wasn't broke. And uh, what would happen is this. If he had children with Ruth, the first child would be credited to the dead guy. So say they have a son, Billy. They wouldn't have named him Billy. They would have named him a, noun, a name we can't pronounce. What if then he and Ruth had nothing but daughters after that? What happens? When Boaz dies, all of his property would go to his single son, which is not his son. That son is considered, in terms of inheritance law, to be the son of a dead guy. So all of his property would then revert to the clan of the guy who died. So he marries Ruth at great risk to his own inheritance. His daughters could be left with nothing. And so this is not without risk to him. So Ruth comes to Boaz, lets him know that she is willing to marry him, and Boaz uh, responds. So with all that laid out, here we go. Who else talks about Ruth on Father's Day? You know, <laughs> mark that one down. If you're keeping track, if you've got the, the sermon bingo card, you've got Ruth on Father's Day. So she lay at his feet till morning, but arose before anyone could recognize another. And he, that is Boaz, said, let it, not, let it not be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. And he said to Ruth, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. She held it, and he measured out six measures of barley, put it on her. Then he went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? And Ruth told her, that is Naomi, that everything that Boaz had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Verse 18, here's the important part. Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. That man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Boaz had a reputation, and Naomi knew what that reputation was. That once a job needed to be, get, needed to be done, when was the best time to do it? Right now. There is no reason whatsoever to wait to do this till later. The best time to get a job done is as soon as it can get done, and Boaz had that as his reputation. Naomi said, listen, you don't need to worry about this, Ruth. We're not going to wait a couple of weeks and see if he ever gets around to it. Boaz will not rest until the job is done. He is a man of his word, and he, is, and he is a man of diligence. Once a task is before him, there is no dissuading him. There's another man in the Bible that has this kind of reputation, and it was Daniel. In Daniel chapter 6, uh, you're familiar with this, this chapter in the book of the Bible because it's the commonly known as Daniel in the lion's den. But before they figured out how to get Daniel to be thrown into a lion's den, they tried to look for ways to accuse him of wrongdoing. This is what the Bible says in Daniel 6.4. At this, the other administrators and the satraps 
tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. They were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. So Boaz and Daniel have something in common. One of the, they look for a number of ways to get Daniel in trouble. Is he corrupt? No. Is he trustworthy? Yes. Maybe he's lazy. Maybe he fails to get things done when they ought to get done. Maybe there's a, a big pile in his inbox and very little in his finished box, and they went and checked, and it turns out there was no negligence in Daniel. Just like Boaz. When's the best time to get a job done? Right now. If it can be done, why not do it now? So let's look back at our Savior, Jesus, in Luke chapter 9, because this is what we're going to see in him. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. There's a job before him, and when's the best time for it to get done? Right when it needs to be done. And Jesus here sets his face to go to Jerusalem, because at Jerusalem is where he is going to do the work of redeeming sinners by dying on the cross and raising from the dead. Jesus, we are going to see here, exercises determination. He has a, a kingdom purpose. Number one, he has to proclaim the good news that the kingdom of God has come near. And secondly, he has to sacrifice himself in the face of rejection. Rejection from his people and rejection from the world. We're going to see here in our Savior, Jesus, who seeks to do the work of God to redeem sinners with resilience and with determination and with patience. Sin, this is a, a sinner-seeking Savior. How does Jesus seek sinners? He seeks sinners with resilience and determination and patience. When the days drew near, verse 51 and 52, for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he, he sent messengers as ahead of him who went and entered villages of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. So he set his face to go on mission to die. If you don't understand how redemption works in the Bible, the Bible tells us all humans have sinned against God and rebelled against him. We see all throughout Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, that the means by which we receive forgiveness is for a sacrifice to be made. And Jesus, of course, understands this, being God in the flesh, the Messiah. His intention is to be the sacrifice that is our substitute, to die on the cross and bear on himself the sin and penalty of humankind. He's also intending to be raised from the dead three days later, so therefore, what he gives us is forgiveness of sin for all who believe in him and the ability to live forever for all who believe in him. Death has no claim on those who are in Christ. So he sets his face on Jerusalem to go there to die and to be raised from the dead. And on the way, the intention is to proclaim the good news. The kingdom of God has come. There is now, through the work of the Messiah, a way for all who believe to receive forgiveness. And he sends people ahead of himself to Samaria. Now, Samaria is an area north of Jerusalem, and, and it's an area where people lived who didn't like the people from Jerusalem. Many of them were 
part Jewish, but there was a great level of animosity between the people of Israel and the Samaritans, the people who lived in Samaria. Uh, one author reminds us this, that in the first century for a Jew, it was better to eat pork than to eat with a Samaritan. That's, I mean, so as you can imagine, when the Super Bowl came around, you didn't invite your Samaritan neighbor over uh, to watch it. And some of you are going, was the Super Bowl going around? Google it. Yes, of course it was. Green Bay won. So here's what we find out about this redemption Jesus is working on. Salvation is from the Jews. Salvation is from the Jews. You look at Moses, you look at the prophets. The Messiah who would bring salvation is coming from the people of Israel. However, this salvation is for everyone. So this, this salvation is from the Jews. There's no getting around it, nor would we want to. This is what Moses had planned. This is what God had planned. So this salvation comes from the Jews, and that's why he's making his way to Jerusalem to be sacrificed there. However, this salvation is not only for the Jews, it's for all who would believe. So it makes perfect sense, since this salvation is for everybody, on the way to Jerusalem, we should let the Samaritans know. That makes perfect sense. That was the plan. What happens? This sinner uh, seeking Savior who is doing so with diligence and resilience and determination. Verse 53. The people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. Jesus experiences opposition to his ministry, his ministry to provide salvation and to tell people about this salvation. People oppose Jesus because he's going to Jerusalem. So the Samaritans didn't like the people of Israel, so they would have said this maybe. We'll take your salvation. You can die anywhere but Jerusalem. We'll take your salvation if you die in Rome. We'll take your salvation if you die in Tyre or Sidon. We'll take your salvation if you die anywhere except Jerusalem. You die in salvation or you die in Jerusalem, you can keep your salvation. We don't need it. We don't need your Jewish redemption. And so the Samaritans opposed Jesus and his message, not on theological grounds, not on uh, uh, need grounds. They opposed Jesus because of cultural grounds, because of ethnic tension within the community. They object to salvation that would come from Jerusalem. So something else we learn about this sinner seeking Savior. He seeks sinners with resilience and with determination and with patience. He also seeks sinners who oppose him. He doesn't merely seek sinners who already are willing to accept him. In the sales profession, we might call this a warm lead. That is someone you know is likely interested in the product you offer. Jesus doesn't merely go to people he thinks are really interested in what he's selling. Jesus also goes to sinners that are opposed to him because of his patience and resilience and determination. He gladly goes to Samaria knowing many will reject him because he is a Messiah who comes from the people of Israel. Jesus knowing what we are like, knowing that we will oppose him for lame reasons, comes to us anyway because of his love and his grace. This is a good Savior. This is a Savior who, who seeks sinners that aren't just the good sinners. They're also really mean sinners. 
and oppositional sinners. And he does so with love and grace. His disciples, not so much. Let's look at their response in verses 54 and 55. And his disciples, Jimbo and John, we've got to call them Jimbo in this passage. When his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Hey, Lord, you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? So they want some fireworks. They want some explosives. They want to bring judgment down on the Samaritans because... Now, why would James and John want to bring judgment down on the Samaritans? Well, because they rejected Jesus, right, on theological grounds. You don't reject the Lamb of God and expect to get off scot-free. And let's, let's think about it just a little bit. What happened in Nazareth? Remember Nazareth? You know, Jesus' hometown? Jesus read some scripture at the synagogue, and I think they responded. They took an offering, right? No, they took him up on a hill and tried to throw him off a cliff. Now, let's, what did Jimbo and John do then? I can't. Oh, nothing. Why? Because the Nazareth, people of Nazareth aren't Samaritans. But a Samaritan town rejects the Savior. You know what? Sodom and Gomorrah, these people, all day long. Let's do this. Let's leave a smoking crater in Samaria. We'll put a sign up, formerly Samaria, because they rejected Jesus, also because they're Samaria. So the, the people of Samaria are rejecting the Savior because of cultural and ethnic uh, challenges, and James and John object to Samaria's rejection, not because of their theological fidelity, but because it's Samaria rejected Jesus. They wanted judgment on Samaria. Jesus, though, doesn't. Verse 55, he turned and rebuked them. He doesn't rebuke Samaria. There will be a time for rebuke, but it's not this day. He rebukes his disciples because they don't know what time it is. Now, is fire from heaven going to come down on all who reject Jesus? The answer, yes. If you're not sure of it, read Revelation. If you're bored with this message, read it now. It's a good book. But guess what? All who reject the Lamb of God receive judgment. But when do you receive judgment? That day. That day is coming. Until that day, it is a time of patience and long-suffering and grace, where this kind of Savior, this Jesus, is a resilient and determined and patient and loving and gracious, even for those who oppose him and even disciples who don't understand what's going on. This is what our Savior is like. Certainly a day of judgment has come. You, you can't reject the Lamb and expect not to experience judgment, but Jesus in his kindness says that's reserved for another day. In this moment... It is a time of gracious, uh, loving, long-suffering that he displays to us. Verse 56, and then they went on to another village. They reject him? Fine, we'll go to another village and and repeat the process. Jesus uh, seeks to accomplish his purpose to find sinners and proclaim to them the good news of salvation in him. And until that day when the judgment does come... He will continue proclaiming the good news in resilience and determination and setting his face on Jerusalem. Jesus is not seeking judgment here. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 44, I'm going to read it. Jesus 
cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. If anybody hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to do what? Save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on what day? The last day. Is it the last day? No. When's it coming? I don't know. When I read my Bible, my understanding is soon. Well, how soon? We're closer than we've ever been. That's all I got for you. I have no idea. I can tell you when it's not going to be. It's not going to be on whatever day a recent book came out. You know, there's always a book coming out telling us what day it's going to be. And I always say whenever a book comes out, well, now I know what day it's not. Jesus is saying, here's my ministry. I'm a sinner-seeking Savior. I'm going to set my face on Jerusalem. And today's ministry is not a mission of judgment. And he says it explicitly. I am not here to judge. If you don't, if you don't believe what I say, and you, you don't like what I had to say, and you, you think I'm a quack, fine. I'm not here to judge you. Now, a day is coming where you're going to have to deal with somebody who does judge. But that's not today. Today is the day of patient resilient gospel proclamation, go to Jerusalem with diligence to get the job done. He's not seeking in this moment judgment. He is, in fact, seeking reconciliation with sinners, and he knows sinners are going to act like sinners. And the only way for a sinner to find hope in Christ is for him to do his ministry the way he is, with resilience and patience to do ministry the way Boaz would do, the way Daniel would do, because they were just faint images of our Savior who would be to come. Sinner-seeking Savior. How does Jesus seek sinners? Resilience, patience, determination. Now, you would think with a Savior seeking sinners in this fashion that sinners then would seek him in much the same way. Wouldn't you think that? If Jesus is seeking us with such diligence and patience, resiliency, that obviously sinners would respond to that and seek him in the same way he is seeking them. Of course, that would be totally wrong. You might think it, but that's wrong. So if he seeks us, if he's a sinner seeking Savior, and he seeks us with resilience and grace and determination, how do sinners seek Jesus? Let's look at the rest of the passage beginning in verse 15. 57 through 60, 62, excuse me. Sinners seeking savior, savior, how sinners seek Jesus. I don't know if you've ever gone hitchhiking. Um, I never have because somebody told me that's a good way to die. And apparently you always die at the hands of an axe murderer. You know, nobody picking you up does. So, uh, so but here's the idea of hitchhiking. If you're not familiar with hitchhiking, uh, you stand on the side of a highway and you put your thumb out or you hold the cardboard sign, whatever you want. And then what you want to do is a car will stop and 
and, and you'll negotiate the terms of the ride. And usually it's something like this. Where do you want to go? I want to go to Portland. Oh, well, I'm going to Reno. I don't want to go to Reno. All right, see ya. I mean, that's kind of the, the conversation. As cars come by, the ones will stop, and I'm going to decide if this car offers a location that I find useful. I want to go to Portland. I'm going to, going to Vancouver. Hey, well, that works out. Portland's on the way. Either one of the Vancouver's. You know, that's on the way, so I can go there. And so it, once you have a, a ride that matches what you want, you get in the car. And this is what sinners want in their Savior. Would-be followers want Jesus to fit into where their life is headed, their values, their agenda. Sinners are seeking Jesus only to the degree that they can keep some of what they already want. So sinners seek Jesus like a hitchhiker seeking a ride. We want, we'll get into the, to the Jesus car if he's going somewhere I think is useful. And if he's not, we'll wait for another Jesus car or whatever Savior we might be looking for. This is how sinners seek Jesus. Look at verses 57 and 58. They're going along the road, and someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, I'm homeless. I mean, essentially, he said, look, foxes have holes, birds have, air, birds have nests, son of the man has nowhere to lay his head. He walks up to Jesus, hey, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you want to go. Yeah, okay, good. By the way, we're going to be living down by Bear Creek, the Greenway. We have to dodge uh, various encampments, but that's where we're going to live. Has anybody been down there? Does anybody want to live down there? You don't want to live down there anymore, and this guy wanted to live wherever Jesus was going to be. The guy comes up to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you want to go, and, and Jesus says, I'm homeless, and this guy didn't think homeless was an option. He had a lot of things Jesus might be calling him to, but Jesus calling me to be homeless? That's kooky. Seeking Jesus if he fits. Jesus makes it clear to this guy, I don't fit. I'm not looking to fit. I'm not looking to fit into whatever piece of the puzzle you're trying to fit me into. Do you want Jesus, or do you want the life you're accustomed to? That's what he's telling this guy. If Jesus will not fit into the life you're accustomed to, will you abandon the life you're accustomed to and take Jesus, or will you stick with the life you're accustomed to? We don't really know what happened with these guys. We assume the response was in the negative. That's the way it's put together here. How do sinners seek Jesus? I'll take Jesus if he fits into my life that I'm accustomed to for this guy. And Jesus immediately goes after what he's most accustomed to. You want a place to call home. You want to kick your feet up at the end of the night. Say, so listen, there's nothing wrong with any of that. But what if where I'm taking you doesn't offer any of that? And if, if you're saying you will only follow me if I fit into your well-appointed life, Jesus says, no interest in fitting into your well-appointed life. No interest. That's how sinners seek Jesus. Let's keep going. 59 through 60. To another, he said to this. Now, the first guy came to Jesus. In this case, Jesus addresses this person. To another, he said, follow me. And this guy says this. Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So this, Jesus says to this guy, follow me, because he knows what's going on in this guy's life, and he wants to challenge him. 
This guy offers a really, really good excuse. You know, I would follow you, but I need to do my father's funeral. Right? I need to do my father's funeral. Now, here's what we don't know about this guy's dad. Number one, we don't know if his dad is dead yet. It might be, he's saying, let me bury my father, meaning I have responsibilities at home. Remember, back then, what was your social security? A bunch of sons. That was how you made sure that you, nobody broke into your house at night when you're old and you had meals put in front of you. You crank out a bunch of sons, not daughters, nothing against daughters, but back in that day, the daughters were at the in-laws caring for them. So you want a bunch of sons so that when you're old, you got people to protect you, to bring the food in, to make sure you're safe. So the son might have been saying, I got, I got, to, I got to take care of pops. And what does Jesus say? Do you want to follow me or not? My mission isn't to your dad's house. That's not where I'm going. I'm going to Jerusalem to die. Now, the other thing, his dad could be dead, and he just wanted to do the, 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 the memorial, the funeral. And Jesus is, in some sense, saying this in that case. I don't understand. He's not going to be less dead. Like I don't, actually, I'm going to Jerusalem to deal with the dead problem. That's actually going to be the effective way of dealing with the problem of death, not doing a funeral. In either case, what we see here is a guy who figured out what he thought was the ace in the hole. I've got the one excuse. I've got the one excuse where I don't have to follow Jesus to Jerusalem. I have a really good excuse. I'm in grief. I'm in mourning or I'm caring for my parents. So what this guy is doing in many ways, he's saying, I would follow Jesus. You know, I... I would follow Jesus, but I've got these other very high and mighty moral things I'm up to. So what this results in, a guy who can put on the appearance of wanting to follow Jesus without actually having to. He can seem like he wants to follow Jesus without actually following Jesus, and Jesus is saying, there are no excuses. Do you want me or do you want the other stuff? Do you want me or do you want your parents? I am the king of the universe. We don't know what happened, but we, again, we assume in all of these cases that these folks responded in the negative. Sinner seeking Jesus. First guy doesn't want Jesus unless he fits into the life he's accustomed to. Second guy wants to seem like he follows Jesus, but has come up with really good excuses why he doesn't really have to follow Jesus. And Jesus says there are no really good excuses. Verses 61 and 62. Ready? I'll take that as a yes. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. That doesn't seem like a bad deal. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. He's using a metaphor from agriculture. If you're working a pair of oxen, you're towing uh, a plow and you're hauling it through the dirt, uh, what you would typically do is you would point your oxen in your plow at a, at a, a landmark in the, in the, ahead of you as a means of making sure your furrows are straight. That, does that make sense? You don't want crooked, nobody wants crooked furrows, do they? I mean, I don't know what they're doing on social media nowadays, but I believe in straight furrows. So you're, you're doing your dealio, and of course I've done this so much. I have done this so much, obviously I'm an expert. If you're looking behind you, and you're looking forward, you go, oh, phooey. Something like that. Because now all of a sudden your oxen are crooked. And you got crooked furrows. You got to go back and erase them. And then you got to do it again. And so he said, listen, nobody who looks backwards if you're doing oxen. 
And that's what he's saying this guy is doing. He wants to go ahead, but keep, well, I don't know, but, but there's a lot going into my past, and I, I'm not, he's sort of on the fence here. Which way am I going? The other thing is, what if he gets back home, and he says, hey guys, I'm going to see you later. You probably aren't going to see much of me. I'm on my way to Jerusalem with Jesus. My understanding is he's going to die there. There's half a chance I'm going to die there, and uh, love you all. And the assumption is he would be bid farewell with a great celebration and adulation. Oh, look at this devoted follower. But, but what Jesus wants this guy to understand, that's not always the case. Uh, look with me. Luke chapter 12. We're not up to it yet. Luke chapter 12. Obviously, we're only in Luke 9. We'll be in Luke chapter 12 in 2025. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 49. Let me read it. I came to cast fire on the earth and, and wood that were already Kindled. Now you're saying, but I thought he didn't come to judge. What he's saying is here, look, I'm coming, I'm presenting the good news. Judgment's coming, but it's not here yet. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is completed. He's referring there to his crucifixion. Verse 51. Do you think I have come to give peace on earth? Is that what you thought? You think Jesus came to bring peace on earth? He says, no. I came to give you division. Verse 52. From now on, in one house, there will be five divided. Three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother-in-law, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Jesus says this, in one house, some are going to believe and some aren't, and they are going to be at each other. There, I, there will be division. This guy wants to go home and say, I'm following Jesus, and have his whole family, yay, follow Jesus. And Jesus goes, what are you talking about? I, many will not want you to follow me. You want to be sent off with adulation, you will be sent off in the midst of division. Matthew relates the same uh, message in Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 34 but adds a little bit to it at the end. So let me read it. Do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy worthy of me. This is what he's telling this guy. It's not that you can't love your mom and dad. It's fine. But you got to love me more. I'm the savior of the universe, the creator of the universe, the Lord and King. Whoever loves their kids more than me, not worthy of me. Love your kids. Yes, don't love them more than me. You love your mom and dad more than me? That's a problem for Jesus. Verse 38, Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Seeking Jesus, as long as the people around me approve that I'm seeking Jesus, means I don't want Jesus, I want people around me to approve of me. And Jesus says this, you don't want me if that's what you want. If you want people around you to approve of you and to clap, oh, you're such a good Jesus-y person then you're in the wrong deal. Because Jesus said, I didn't bring, I didn't come to bring unity because 
People will divide over me. He says it this way in the Sermon on the Mount. Seek first the peace in your household, and then after that, the kingdom of God. No, I, I, I said it wrong to make sure you're still awake. Seek first the kingdom of God. Now, I should say it this way because I know this group a little bit. It doesn't mean you get to be a jerk. The way Peter says it is this way. Let's say if somebody is going to mistreat you, make sure it's because of Jesus and not just because you're annoying. Some of you are saying, yeah, that's right. My father-in-law doesn't like me. It has nothing to do with Jesus. You're rude. Okay, so th these two things are not the same. He's not saying be rude. He's saying if people are going to reject you because of me, then seek me first. And don't seek the kingdom of God merely to receive accolades from others because honestly, that's not going to happen. Sinner seeking Savior. How does Jesus seek sinners? He sets his face on Jerusalem with diligence and resilience and patience and grace and love. He pursues sinners even as we object to him and reject him, he shows patience over time and over time and over time that we might have opportunity to respond to him in faith. Faith. This is how he seeks sinners. How do, how do sinners seek Jesus? And by sinners, I mean people. And by people, I mean, well, I don't want to be rude, but us. We are fickle, we are proud, we are easily distracted, we are disinterested, we are impatient. Jesus is annoying sometimes because he's all about stuff we're not interested in and he doesn't seem interested in the stuff we're interested in. And Jesus loves sinners like us because he's a savior that seeks sinners like us. A couple of things and then we'll, we'll close. The, uh, the reality of human nature, I, I should say this, the reality of fallen human nature, the fallen human condition assumes this. And, and you can fill in the blank with whatever you want. Of course, you won't want to, but let me share it with you. Jesus would never expect me to. Jesus would never put me in this situation. Jesus would ne Now, that's exactly what he did to these three guys. The guy boldly comes up to Jesus. I'll follow you wherever you go because Jesus would, he would never want me to be homeless. I mean, that's ridiculous. Jesus says, you want to be homeless? The nature of the fallen human condition assumes Jesus would never expect me to do this. And the question we ought to ask ourselves is, what element of our life must be? Listen, what element of my life must be for me to be okay with Jesus. That's, we, there, there, we have to look at our own heart and say, there's a, an element of my human life that must be constant. And in the absence of that, I am not okay with Jesus. And you, and you have to figure that thing out. Could be your money, could be your family, could be your stuff, could be your education, could be your health, could be your marriage, could be your children, could be your politics, could be sports. I don't know. That This thing must be, and in the absence of this thing, or the changing of this thing, or the ruining of this thing, I am not okay with Jesus. And you've got to figure out what that thing is. 
And so this is what's hard about this application. And you say, oh, we're doing application? Yeah, wake up. Here we go. This might not be for today. I've said this numerous times about Bible reading. If you get up in the morning this morning and you read your Bible because you need something today, what's the problem with that? What you needed for today you were supposed to be reading six months ago. Yeah, the stuff you're reading today, God's going to file away in your heart and then take you through some experiences and press that into your soul. And then six months from now, you're going to be going through something, and all of a sudden, the Bible's going to show up, right? Well, that's the thing here. Here's what I want you to do is file this away. Okay, Greg said from the Scripture that something might go away, and I'm going to not be okay with Jesus. And what I want you to do is when that day happens, listen, did I say if? See some, I see some of you have been around longer than 20 years. I'm, not, I'm trying not to look, Jason. At, <laughs> is it a when or is it an if? It's a when. When that day comes, you can remember back, oh, I thought this would always be. I, th- I thought this particular thing was fixed, and, and in the absence of this, this person or this asset or this circumstance, I, I'm not sure if I'm okay with Jesus now. Oh, that's right. i got to figure out what that thing is. And in that moment, you have an opportunity to worship in a way you can't in any other moment and say, you know what? Even in the absence of that thing, I'll seek Jesus. Even in the heartache, in the grief, in the tears, even in the agony, I'll take Jesus. So file this one away. This may not be for you today, but that day will come if you live long enough. Two more things. I did the hard one first, so these are great, all right? What is Jesus like? I love this. Jesus has his face fixed on the cross for you. Just no distraction. Just here we go. Let's get her done. Fixed on the cross for you. All that you aren't as a follower, he is as a savior. Everything you're not Every way in which you are not good at following Jesus. Anybody else bad at following Jesus, or is it just me? I I don't know. Everything you're not, as a Savior, he is. He is the only kind of Savior that, that can save you. He is the only kind of Savior that can save me. But more than that, listen, he is the only Savior that would. He's the only one who willingly sets his face on it. He says, there is nothing getting my way. When's the best time to get this job done? Right now, let's get after it. Set his face on Jerusalem, went through Samaria, walked in Jerusalem, says, where's the cross? Let's do this. That's what Jesus is like. Last one, what else is Jesus like? Last thing, there's lots of things Jesus is like, but I'm just focusing on these two. Thinking back to the disciples and them wanting to go Sodom and Gomorrah on the Samaritans. Remember that? Jesus saves the kinds of people we wouldn't. We judge, he saves. Jesus saves religious people. That's good for people like us. I mean, you showed up early on a Sunday to go to church. That means you're religious. Whether you're a Christian or not, that's between you and the Lord. But you're apparently you're religious because you show up at church on Sunday. Jesus saves religious people. Jesus saves hedonists, people who aren't in church today because they're so hungover. Last thing I want to do is hear me yammering on. It's bad enough hearing me yammer on. Have you ever listened to me hungover? 
Don't answer. Oh, please don't say it out loud. Oh, my goodness. Jesus saves hedonists who party too hard. He saves people who've sinned like that. Jesus saves workaholics. Of course he does. He ought to save. The kingdom needs more workaholics. Jesus also saves lazy bums. What? Yeah, he saves lazy people. He pursues, he saves, he redeems people we reject. And he doesn't save them so they'll fit in for us. He doesn't save people so they won't argue with us about politics anymore. He doesn't save people so they'll agree with us on lots of different things. He saves people because that's the kind of savior he is. I think, we need to, I think we need to figure that out a little bit in how we look at people who sin differently than us. I, I, think that's what, I think we need to figure this out as a community of believers. Maybe not you as an individual, but how is it that I read the way Christians talk about people that sin in ways we find offensive? And Jesus says, no, I save people like that. Is today the day of judgment? Am I, am I wrong? Is today the day of judgment? Then why are we talking like it is? Why are we bringing down judgment on people who sin in sex different than us and people who sin in uh, substances different than us and people who sin in family different than us? We want to call down judgment. How do we call down judgment? We're going to ruin our culture. What's that? What, are, what, what kind of a phrase is that? That's a phrase of judgment. If this is true, these bad things happen. What do we call that? A Bible term for that is a curse. If you sin in these ways, you will receive these kinds of judgment. Does Jesus believe in judgment? Yes. When? So we got to know what day it is. Look at your calendar. Does it say it's the last day today? Well, you'll know. How will we know? Jesus said it this way. When the day of the Lord comes, you won't miss it. It'll be lightning in the sky. You won't, nobody will miss it. If it's the day of the Lord, then by all means, proclaim judgment. In fact, you won't need to. He'll do it for you. Until that day, what do we do? Jesus loves sinners like you. He wants to save you from your sin. It doesn't mean we don't call sin, sin. It just means we don't call judgment. We call for salvation. Jesus saves people who sin in ways that make our lives inconvenient. We should probably keep that in mind, considering that one day we will stand before that Savior. Knowing that he rebuked James and John for wanting to nuke a city because they rejected Jesus means maybe we shouldn't be praying that God would nuke people around us because they disagree with us on stuff. That day will come. Don't worry about it. Jesus will bring that day at its appointed hour. It's not that day yet, so we set our faces like Jesus in resilience and patience and kindness to proclaim good news. Jesus saves lazy people. Jesus saves adulterers. See, Jesus saves people with same-sex attraction. Jesus saves alcoholics. Jesus saves, oh my goodness, religious people. And that's what we say. Believe Jesus, and he forgives you of your sin and will raise you from the dead one day. We need to get out of the judgment business or the calling down fire from heaven business. I don't just say that. If I read my Bible right, I think Jesus said that.
Sinner seeking Savior. How does Jesus seek how does Jesus seek sinners with patience, resilience, and diligence? How do we seek Him? We look for Him to fit into our lives, and we're fickle and we're proud, and we can be grateful that He is patient with people like us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the kindness you have shown us in Jesus. God, we are grateful that you knew exactly every way we would behave toward you and about you from the beginning of our life to the end, and you saved us anyway. We are grateful, God, that you set your face on Jerusalem to provide salvation for sinners like us. We are grateful, God, that you are a Savior who is everything we could never be. And we are thankful, God, that it is because of your faithfulness and your mercy that never ends that in you we can count on being in your presence one day. God, I would pray for those who are here this morning especially who don't know you and don't have hope in you, who haven't experienced forgiveness of sin. I would pray that even now they would realize what kind of a Savior you are. And you offer forgiveness and grace, kindness. God, I would pray in this moment they would trust you for forgiveness. God, I would pray for those of us who are believers and many of us are discouraged in our walk with you and we feel like we have fallen short and we're not good at it and good at lots of different kinds of things. We're not very good at being Christians. And Lord, we pray that you would encourage and lift up our hearts to realize we don't need to be good Christians. We just need a good Savior. Remind us again, Lord, that we walk with you by faith. And you are going to do a work in our lives according to your kindness and your faithfulness. And God, finally, I pray for those of us who are believers who have been calling down judgment on our neighbors, on our communities, on our world, that you would soften our hearts to see this place as our mission to proclaim good news, that Jesus saves sinners, even people who sin different than us. God, melt our hearts for this people because you have said the reason that day of judgment hasn't already happened is because you want more people to find Jesus. Would you, God, by your grace, use us to do that? Pray all these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.